Hello and welcome back to Making Fun of Dead People. Today we're going to be talking about Nazis. I didn't know a lot about Nazis, but now I do. So specifically, we're going to be talking about the escape of the Nazis after World War II to South America. So this is a period marked by devastation and destruction. At the end of the war, a Nazi, I didn't really know what it meant. Nah, so I looked up the definition for this podcast. It's primarily associated with members of the German National Socialist, oh, sorry, National Socialist German Workers' Party, which was a far-right political party in Germany that was in power thanks to Adolf Hitler. I think we all know who that was. We're not going to talk about that nut bar. So the Nazis are responsible for the genocide, basically, of 6 million Jews during the what was known as the Holocaust. That was like the original Holocaust, I think. As we know, they didn't get the job done, thank God, because some of the best people we have in history happen to be Jewish. The term Jew is primarily used to denote a person of Jewish faith. I actually had to look up what the proper what the proper term was because I wasn't sure if it was Jewish or Jew. And it turns out, I guess it could be both. And before we get started, I just want to po- point out a couple notable Jews for the point of this podcast, since... Really, they were the main victims of this ridiculous tragedy that the Germans caused. I hate saying Nazis, too, because it also takes accountability away from Germany. It was Germany. We love you now, but you did a bad thing, guys. Steven Spielberg, the man that gave us E.T. and Indiana Jones. He also gave us Jaws. He gave me a fucking post-traumatic stress disorder and bedwetting issues as a kid, thanks to his movies. It was great. Growing up in the 80s, though, my parents were one of those families that bought one of those shock blankets that electrocute you. That would have been hilarious. Bob Dylan. The man can't sing, but he can make music. Also known as Robert Zimmerman. I'm not going to get too much into the influence of this guy, because if you don't know him, you're probably under 20. And you probably will soon enough. Larry Page. Oh, God, this guy. Yes, I'm just going to leave it. His name is enough just to say it. This guy is like one of the godfathers of funny shows and movies. Real funny, dude. Let's talk about another one of my favorite Jews, Leonard Cohen. This guy, he's fucking awesome. He's a Canadian singer-songwriter, which we will definitely cover in an episode when he dies. Sorry, sorry, Lenny. This guy's written, I think one of my favorite things, Closing Time. It was a song that was famous in the 90s, but this dude, he... I think he's probably one of the most famous Canadian Jews that I can think of. But anyway, thank you, Leonard Cohen. Next up, we got Adam Sandler, comedian and actor. Everybody probably knows this guy. I actually just watched his new movie, newer movies, Hidden Gems. And I'm trying to think of the second one. There was about a fellow that played basketball. But holy fuck, this man isn't just a comedian. He can make movies. And... He's entertained so many kids. I'm trying to think of the movie, Oh, Happy Gilmore, and they're all Billy Madison. Man, I can't tell you how many nights I spent having wet dreams about Veronica Vaughn. All right, back to World War II. Just as a reminder, World War II occurred from 1939 to 1945. It was probably one of the most extensive wars and devastating war in history. It's a global conflict that displaced, sorry, it's a global conflict. It was a global conflict that involved over 30 nations and resulted in, I think, the death of over 70 million people by the end of it. And it wasn't just 
death from bombs, starvation, disease, you name it. The war is marked by the, it was like stark polarities between the Allies and the Axis powers. They start fighting. For some reason, Hitler at that time concludes that Jews needed to be erased from the earth. Like, it's, it's absurd. And so, yeah, he goes on, he gets a little bit of power and he goes on a killing journey to get rid of these people. And being the resilient people that they are, they didn't even come close. So he just caused a lot of pain and suffering. And yeah, he never did reach that goal. And we're happy for that. In the chaotic aftermath though, of the war, we have something called the Nuremberg Trials. So Hitler's doing this genocide. He's killing all the Jews. He's killing everybody named Jenny. And he is basically destroying parts of the planet in the pursuit of his version of glory. But after this, the world decides these guys are criminals. Probably like they're going to do with the guy in Russia coming up, but they have something called the Nuremberg Trials, and they're going to hold all these Nazis accountable. We're going to catch them and make them own up to their crimes. People that were especially key in things like torture, running concentration camps, the mass murder of the Jews. So, yeah, bad dudes. And they're going to face trial, and they don't want to. And then on top of that, what we also have, this is something that doesn't get talked about a, notch, a lot, but the diaspora of the Jewish population, essentially how it affected an entire faith, an entire religious group, or an entire, some people weren't even religious, just all the Jewish people, it spread them from Europe to all parts of the earth and essentially broke up a lot of their like it really took a toll on their traditions, their connections as communities. So one thing that's so amazing is that you see how the Jewish culture, like they're entrenched in tradition. And I think that's something that's really helped them keep their history and faith alive is that they didn't let this war break them up, even though they got spread across the globe. Fuck you, Hitler. I hope the devil is a Jew. All right. So the World War is done. Hitler is suspected to have been killed. That could be a whole other podcast, but let's talk about the great escape. Not the good kind. This is the great escape of the criminals in Germany, the Nazis, knowing that they their number got called. Somebody's coming with a bullet that has their name on it. So Germany does their unconditional surrender on May 7, 1945. So Europe is fucking destroyed it's the end of the nazis now it's time to rebuild the sucker and hold people accountable post-war there's so much chaos it creates a smoke screen for nazis particularly like in all cases high-ranking people with money to slip through the fingers of justice and get on these escape routes and that were called rat lines for a good reason and they cross these rat they go down these rat lines and disappear with fake identities into the night never to face justice, or at least that's what they tried. So in this kind of like smokescreen from all this chaos of the Nazis getting their ass handed to them, the high-ranking Nazi officials who had a little bit of cash decide they're going to escape down the rat lines. So the rat lines are clandestine paths offered, which offer fugitives a way to disappear. What constitutes a rat line? Picture an intricate web of secret trails and secure havens crisscrossing nations and continents, orchestrated primarily by the former SS officers, hardcore fascists, and even the Catholic Church. 
So again, it's funny because if you go back and listen to some of my other so episodes, the fucking Catholic Church is involved again in yet another scandal. They're moving Nazis around the country. What else have these guys done? I was raised as a Catholic. I was forced down my throat like a lot of people. I've just seen so many scandals involving them. So yeah, they step up. Like, of course, they're going to move some Nazis. They probably volunteer to move the little boy Nazis first, give them a little bit of safe haven. Maybe, maybe they send them to Epstein's Island. I don't know. The Catholic Church, though, like again, like in Canada, they decimated or were key in decimating the indigenous population. They did the same thing in Latin America. It's come on, enough is enough, guys. I don't think there's too many scandals. If you look back in history, they weren't their fingers weren't in. So the rat lines, and especially this is my favorite one. The monastery route, or in particular, notoriety. Commencing in Germany, this trail sneaks its way through rural Italy, punctuated. It's basically, it was a bunch of churches, safe havens along the way that people could follow. And I can't imagine how fucking kids were molested during this. Holy. Anyway, so yeah, they helped these people escape this shithole before they all died. Experts estimate that hundreds potentially thousands of Nazi war criminals evaded post-war capture immediately after the war. They carved out these little sanctuaries in places like Argentina, Brazil, Paraguay, and Chile, frequently adopting new identities and just blending into the lo local populace. I don't know how Germans were blending in down there, but as you'll see as we get into this, they didn't really try that hard. So various reasons contribute to countries becoming Nazi havens. Whether it's shared ideological affinities, the escalating Cold War at the time, or... So, yeah, these Nazi villages kind of entrenched themselves in South America and safe haven for the Nazis. So a lot of reasons contribute to the Nazi havens becoming established in South America. Some of it's shared ideological affiliation, escalating tensions that occurred later on during the Cold War. And then you have the economic benefits. They're bringing money with them. Money talks, even Nazi money talks. Over the years, there was a lot of effort put into catching these people and some were caught. So let's go into some of the notable people that escaped down there. And as we dive into this, you're going you're gonna to get a, make it a little bit of a dirty feeling by the end of this podcast. You might need a shower because I don't think any country escapes this controversy. Actually, that's not true. I think Canada did was the only one, one of the few, that didn't take in Nazis after the war. Okay, let's get into Adolf Eichmann, the architect of the genocide. What does that mean? So among a multitude of Nazis who escaped Europe's smoldering ashes was a man with a sinister legacy, Adolf Eichmann. He's dubbed as one of the primary architects of the Holocaust. Eichmann served as the department of the head, sorry, he served as the depart, department head for Jewish affairs in the Reich Main Security Office. Pretty innocuous title for a position that has a deadly significance. In this capacity, Eichmann was the logistical mastermind behind the transportation and deportations of millions of Jews from Germany. He was sending them to camps, basically breaking up the population. This guy, this is, he's the idea office. This is where this stuff is coming from. He's a, he's a maniacal, evil man. And I don't care what culture you're from like if you're following out if you're carrying out genocide even if your leaders are forcing you to you can't murder just because someone tells you to but i think this guy truly enjoyed it that's the kind of man he was he was a weak little rat 
and he thought he could stomp on people. So Eichmann, because he has money, he evades capture. So they're routing all these guys up after the war. He gets out of there. And so he settles into a life in South America, somewhat disappearing. But how this doesn't last long. About a decade after he was melded into Argentina's social fabric, Eichmann, his past caught up to him. He was located by agents of the Mossad, Israeli's intelligence service, in a quiet suburb of Buenos Aires. The cloak and dagger operation steeped in espionage resulted in Eichmann being clandestinely whisked away to Israel. Once there, he faced a televised trial, a global event. Fuck yeah. This guy is being held accountable in front of everyone, which is exactly what needs to happen. And to make it better, the Jews got him. Boom. Stinger. Right in a little bit of salt in the cut in that one from, yeah, like he got to love that. That's just such a good feeling of justice of all the people to catch him. It was Israel and good job, guys. Eichmann was executed, a potent symbol of the world's refusal to forget the Holocaust. His fate sent a message to the world. I wonder that I'm not a supporter of the death sentence. I might joke around and stuff. It's comedy, but I truly, I don't support even like the worst of the worst criminals getting the death sentence. To me, it would have been a lot, would have been a lot funnier if this guy had to live out his life. As a Canadian, like a lot of people probably around the earth, I'm not a fan of the death penalty, even for the worst criminals. I'm not crying over this guy. I just think that like I would have liked to see a guy like this end up living to a ripe old age and a prison and having to face the horrors that he caused, having to be kept beside people, other criminals where he belonged. And I don't know, it just seems like maybe that was too easy of a way out for him. Now, this next guy we're going to talk about, this might get a little gross. Stay away, folks, if you have an aversion to mutations and body parts. Yosef Mengle, the angel of death. Bring him in. All right. This guy is a fucking piece of shit. I'll just say that. I don't think I have to say that, but in 2023, it feels like you have to qualify that. So you can just say somebody's name and they'll try and cancel you. This guy, this guy was typical. This guy was bad. Bad dude. All right. Next, we're into the angel of death. Josef Mengele, the original German kind of fucking crazy torture, evil doctor. Bad dude, bad man. And he earns himself the nickname Angel of Death because he is a sadistic murderer. Mengele was Mengele was an SS officer, a position in itself that commanded fear and obedience. Yet it was a secondary role. He was actually a doctor, a physician, do no harm at the Auschwitz concentration camp. This earned him, this is where he got the name, the Angel of Death. He carried out untold horrors on the Jewish people of these camps, like medical experiments. Oh, yeah, he did not take the Hippocratic Oath seriously. In an eerie fashion, he had this like obsession as twins. Okay. All right. Mangling carries out a ton of horrible experiments. He was the one responsible for selection duty, is what he called. He essentially, he's picking which Jewish people are going to be forced into labor camps and experiments and which ones will be sent to the gas chamber. So he's like a judge, jury, and executioner. He performed unauthorized and 
horrible medical experiments on victims without even using anesthesia. Things to see if like another twin could feel the other twin's pain. His interests, including the studies on the effects of diseases and trauma. So yeah, he's torturing people. Fucking sicko. He's particularly had a, this fixation on people that were twins and conducted these brutal experiments. Things like he'd injected eyes and dye into children's eyes to see if it would change their color. Surgically, he tried to create conjoined twins. Like he's pulling, you remember that movie, The Human Centipede? Like he's doing this level of stuff to people. And it's absolutely mind boggling that somebody out there is signing off on this. Like it's clear that this guy's getting his rocks off. You don't become somebody that's this sadistic and torturing people by just happening to get a random posting as a doctor at a camp. This guy was one sick dude. I guarantee I would love to see if somebody's investigated his history in depth even more because he's got like the earmarks of every serial killer out there. And if that's what he was, call him what he is. He was a fucking mass murderer, serial killer. And yeah, like he's definitely in hell. If there is a hell and when he's there, bet you he's being experimented on. And I hope that he truly regrets his actions and he has some time to think about what he did. Okay, so you got these two, those are just two examples of the types of people that escaped Germany. And it's just funny talking about this. It makes me think these are just the ones, like these are just some of the notable cases that we know about. I can't even imagine the other types of criminals, even non-Nazi criminals. If you did a bunch of bad things and you, in that cloud of craziness, I'm sure some wanted criminals disappeared forever and later became politicians. Okay. Let's talk about Nazi heaven or heaven, heaven or haven. Oh, I don't think there is a Nazi heaven. I really don't. I hope there's not a Nazi heaven anyway. And if I, if there is, I hope it's like sarcastically Nazi heaven. It's like they get to heaven. They think they're going to heaven. They get in. Oh, this is fucking great. And then there's like this angel that comes down and just starts laughing. Like, Fuck you. Gotcha. And then like fire comes up. Devil comes up with a yarmulke on. and he just starts handing out punishments like candy. Like, you, you're going to get your dick hole blown out. You, let's put your balls in the vice. Anyway, I'm not a torture guy, but there's some fucking. If there was a place where people were going to get tortured, it's these guys. All right. <laughs> where did I get a little off track there? South America, with the geographical remoteness and political climates, offered a fertile ground for breeding Nazis. Oh, sorry, fleeing Nazis. But we'll get into that. They did breed down there. The reason for Argentina is not only in the geographical location with its vast, sparsely populated areas and plains known as the Pampas, Alpine-like Andean regions also had some political leaderships that were a little controversial. The man at the helm, Juan Perón, bore fascist sympathies that ran deep. His admiration for Benito Mussolini's Italy had influenced his ideology, particularly on governance and labor relations. So you got a pretty much like a Diet Coke of Nazi leader down there taking in the kind of the real deal. He's like, yeah, I'll take you guys, take a little bit of your money. So the Nazis move in and they start to get a foothold in Argentina. 
he sees his opportunity and starts to use the people to transform Argentina, like using their science, their knowledge of administration, their money, and I don't want to say Europe, bringing European traditions over there, but like a little bit somewhat. So Juan Perón sees like kind of these people as maybe the answer to some of Argentina's problem. They can bring some of their skills, knowledge, and be the best immigrants they can be. So the encouragement, his administration didn't directly be like, hey, come on in, Nazis. They encouraged it through like incentive programs, financial support, falsified travel documents, arranged employment. They didn't directly support it. They just <laughs> looked the other way, so to speak. Carlos Fudner, a former SS officer and Perón's immigration fixer, played a key role in this operation. The Argentine embassy in Madrid and Buenos Aires essentially was instrumental in helping thousands of war criminals find new lives in Argentina. So essentially, the Argentine government is helping thousands of Nazis possibly flee the war, whether they're breaking international law. That's up to the international courts. I don't know, space god. Argentina, though, wasn't the only people. Chile, under the dictatorship of Pinochet, provides refuge to Paul Schaefer and his followers, another really bad Nazi. And as we're going to get into, they establish little mini Nazi town called Colonia Dignidad in South America. This is fucked up. Wait till you get in. This place still exists today, guys. This is not like ancient history. There's a little... They're not supposed to call it a Nazi town anymore. <laughs> a Nazi-adjacent town in South America. <laughs> Don't want to offend the Nazis. It's important to note some of these South American colonies formed by Nazis do vary quite a bit. Argentina, so yeah, they're taking in Nazis. There's just, there is some pushback. A lot of people say that a lot of these kind of blended in with society and didn't do Nazi stuff. The thing is, if you go from like my research on the internet, you'll see the sources in the description, but there's still people that got their picture of proud grandpa up on the wall with his swastika and his medals for killing innocent people and stuff. So it's not that far removed. And I used to think that Nazism died when they supposedly killed Hitler. But the more I research, like this shit's still alive. There's lots of Nazis. And I guess that makes sense. If you got rid of Trump, the Republican, Republican Party is not going to die. So it makes sense that these people, they didn't go to South America and just stop being Nazis. And there's also a lot of speculation that some of the activities actually continued even in South America. Again, it's not proven, but just fucking common sense, man. So you still have Colonia Dignidad in Chile that is like essentially a compound you can go to today. One of the things actually, a lot of the architecture, the town looks like a German town. You've got like the Oktoberfest and the architecture. It just, it's, it just seems like such a juxtaposition. Like you got the, this little German village in the middle of a jungle, which supposedly is Nazi freedom. So yeah, what the fuck? Hi, the land of the twins. So as we delve deeper into kind of the Nazi history of South America, we're going to look at Brazil, specifically this small town, Candido Gudai. Seemingly ordinary town, but it could hide an extraordinary secret. It's known as the Land of the Twins. Now you heard that, right? It has a birth rate of twins nearly 10 times the global average. That's odd. 
the residents of Candido Godoy, a large population of who, whom are German descent, have long speculated about the cause of the phenomenon. A lot of people suspect that Josef Mengele, as we mentioned before, the super Nazi twin doctor known as the Angel of Death, is responsible for the anomalous, high, the weird twin birth rate. He is reported to have been there in the early 60s, pretending to be a veterinarian. According to locals, he provided medical treatment and performed genetic experiments on residents, primarily pregnant women. This increase in twin births began around the same time. I just want to point this out. Like This goes back again to what I was saying about this fucking loser, is that even I, I don't can't foresee how the German government or the Nazis party was funding his research at this point. He's just doing it for fun. He is just a, I don't know what you would call him, man. Parasite, sick fuck. Man, I wish they had catapults that you could put people like that in. So he's fucking with pregnant chicks. That is a fetish though, isn't it? What a guy. So this theory is like captivating in the sense, like you can't believe this actually and happen. You can't, I can't believe that there's still like these little German towns down there. And I think there's, I think there's a high likelihood that some of the values followed these people and probably let them get a little bit of footing and send some Nazis back out into the world. I hope that the claims are true that it's Nazi free, but like anywhere in the world, I don't think anywhere in the world's Nazi free anymore. Because I found out, like, you can't even go on half the websites you go on and people are spouting Nazi shit. So this shit is still alive and well. Don't fool yourself. If somebody tells you anything's Nazi free, they're fucking lying to you because there's so much racism and discrimination still out there. And you, yeah, don't pretend that it's not. And if you see a Nazi, like, just maybe encourage them not to be a Nazi so much. Besides, like, his little twin factory in Candido Godoy that Mengele could have been, there is reports that he actually had set up a hospital down there at one point and had some nurses working for him, again, for experiments. And, yeah, there's some other places around Argentina and other countries, probably a lot of unreported examples of some Nazi-isms happening down there. Anyway, Colonia, uh, Colonia Dignidad in Chile being the main one that seemed to keep the Nazi traditions alive. So it wasn't just South America. And we're going to talk a little bit about the rest of the world when we talk about Nazis. Because it's just not fair to be like, oh, South America, you kept all the Nazis. Nah, nah, nah. We got a regular America too, don't forget. So World War II comes an end and the United States and the Soviet Union, these allies at the time, allies, geared up for what would be the Cold War. And a huge race after World War II though, like they're in a mad dash to scoop up all the Nazi talent. They want to get the best scientists, the mines, and steal them for themselves. And that's exactly what they do. So in the United States, Operation Paperclip begins. Initiated by the Office of Strategic Services, the OSS, the precursor to the CIA, Operation Paperclip aims to recruit German scientists to work in the U.S., Notable among these recruits was Werner von Braun. Ron? Braun? A leading Nazi figure. This guy built Nazi rockets. What's a Nazi scientist who builds rockets good for? I don't know. Going to space. So they stick them in NASA. 
Von Braun brought over to the U.S. And all of a sudden, it's like his history is just forgotten. NASA, look, I get it. I get it. I get why they did this. Because if they didn't take the Nazis in and make them, someone else was going to do it. I think what was hard, what's hard to swallow is the fact that these criminals got to live complete, completely normal lives. And if not, they were celebrated a little bit. So this guy, he's in NASA. He's working on these really cool space projects. And I think he's out of the Marshall Space Center. One of these remarkable achievements, though, was Von Braun's V-2 rockets, manufactured by concentration camp prisoners working in brutal conditions. This is, the, yeah, this guy, man, his work was instrumental in the launch of Explorer 1, the first American Nazi satellite. He eventually became a director of NASA's Marshall Space Flight Center. So they had like, that's messed up. I get it. But it's just, I don't know, what do you say to that? He builds Nazi rockets for America. They get to space. And that is gross. But it had to happen. There was also an operation known as Operation Oslavikom. The Soviet program forcibly relocated more than 2,000 German specialists into the Soviet Union in one night. 2,000 people, 2,000 scientists, 2,000 Nazi scientists and specialists to help them build their country. And that's the part that scares me a little bit. It's, I hope that these ideals and these values died with these people. I really do. But fuck, that's not that long ago. It's not even 100 years yet. So you got all these scientists being used and it's really questionable. And their legacy carries on into a ton of inventions we use today. They helped us get to the moon. They helped us develop a lot of our, I guess, war machine weaponry. So one thing I want to touch on is that during the war, though, Canada detains 34,000 POWs, including a large number of individuals who were Nazis. After the war ends, a significant number of refugees and immigrants from war-torn Europe are accepted into Canada. Canada's always done that during terms of turmoil, open its doors, which is a good thing. But like anything, in with the good comes the bad as well. So there's some Nazis made their way into Canada. And during the 20th century, Canada did take substantial action to start kicking them out. Thank gosh. In 1987, the Shane Commission was established to investigate all the alleged war criminals that could be in Canada. The commission identified 800 possible suspects, though a ton of them were dismissed due to a lack of, lack of evidence. One notable case, though, was Helmut Oberlander. He served as a Nazi interpreter and is alleged to have participated in war crimes. He arrives in Canada in 1954. He's later found to have misrepresented his wartime activities. Canada revokes his membership or citizenship a bunch of times, sparking a legal battle that's lasted for decades. However, it's important to note that Canada did not deliberately seek to bring Nazi scientists. They came in through illegal immigration. So this, they're fighting to deport this guy, but that's been the problem. That's been going on for since World War II, is that the kind of theme of all of this is what I'm trying to point out is that Nazis are still here, man. I'm making fun of dead people, but there's still fucking Nazis that are alive that need to be made fun of. I grew up in an area of Canada where there was definitely systematic and there was direct racism in that community that during like the 80s and 90s, that wasn't something that just like grows out of there overnight because we decide that Nazis are bad one day. Like racist people don't become not racist just because you tell them don't be racist. 
to stop pretending it doesn't exist so we can address this fucking issue. It's come a long way, but we can't just pretend that these people don't exist out there, that suddenly these former Nazi towns turned a new leaf and have zero issues. But that could be said about anywhere in the world. This shit didn't end. World War II didn't just end Nazism. They just Nazied up and scrambled up down those rat lines and became South American Nazis. They became American Nazis, possibly Canadian Nazis, and raised little Nazi babies. The term Nazi has a kind of a little bit different meaning now where it's associated with a lot of right-wing Aryan parties, people that refuse to... Like people that don't let you into restaurants if you're vaccinated. I think that's a Nazi now. There's all kind of different kinds of Nazis. But the Nazis that were murdering Jews and carrying out war crimes, the ones that spread racism and hate that are probably, there's remnants alive in some of the racist groups today. But those Nazis from Germany, just keep it in the back of your head that it wasn't that long ago. And they, I can't see how they magically were cured of their Nazism. So anyway, the Nazis, they did all this bad shit. They fucked the world up. They've essentially erased chunks of history by destroying so many things. The lasting legacy, like right up to this day, you hear stories from Jewish people that survived the war. And you also hear about how their culture today is completely shaped by thousands of years of strategy. I got so much respect for the Jewish culture. I would like to learn more about the Jewish culture because I have a lot of respect for the resilience, the way they, I just love together how they, when they were dispersed over the globe, they came back together and they made communities and they just, they came back strong. Eichmann and Mengele are just two reminders of the types of people that escaped and kept the Nazi tradition alive. Glad one of them got caught and face justice. Even more important than just him facing justice, it's just a message to the world. Hey, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years later, we're going to come and get you. And you will answer to your crimes, motherfuckers. Gotcha. And then they televised it. That, yeah, that's not the first like gotcha journalism, really. So this exodus left scars for history. Thank you again for joining us on Making Fun of Dead People. Today we were telling Adolf Eichmann and Joseph Mengele to go fuck off because they sucked and they did a lot of bad Nazi stuff and there's still a lot of Nazis and we need to keep working towards making less of them in nonviolent ways. Don't kill Jews. Don't do bad. Let's continue to keep this topic in circulation because if we don't talk about the fact that Nazis still out there, and we're out there, then it just allows them a nice little safe space to blossom and flourish. And we don't want that. We want to salt the land so they never grow again. So let's tell a friend about Nazis. Tell a friend about South American Nazis. Tell a friend about Operation Paperclip. It doesn't matter. We'd love to hear from you. Please look in the episode description to follow us on Twitter or for Discord. We'd also love to get an email from you. Tell us some stories. I'm really trying to understand what social media you guys are on. So an email would be good. Like, I don't think I'm thinking about maybe setting up an Instagram account to meet you guys where you are. But if you have any feedback on that, let me know or anything in general.